Listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name's Brandon Harper, and I'm just a regular dude with tons of opinions. Chances are you'll love some and you'll hate some, but just remember, we can still be friends. In today's world of two highly divisible teams, I really don't fall into a category. My goal for this podcast is to share my experiences and thoughts with you, and hopefully, it will help you to formulate your own opinions. I'm not here to change minds, debate, or fight. Okay, so maybe I enjoy a good debate every now and then. But I'm here to offer my opinions, and I don't expect everyone to agree. Just think about how boring the world would be if we all had the same opinions. How in the world is this paradise, you say? Well, you'll just have to keep listening to find out. Just remember, this stuff can't be made up. everybody thanks for tuning in to the life in paradise podcast crazy ray here looking out over a gorgeous sunny sunday afternoon highs in the low 70s hope your day's going great are you so glad they don't talk like that on the radio anymore i am oh man got a few things to talk about today wasn't sure if i was going to record but i decided to i think after i saw the headline kanye west secures place for an oklahoma ballot 2020 presidential election considering everything that's going on in the world how crazy things are i wouldn't be surprised if kanye west won the presidential election not quite ready to call it yet but it wouldn't surprise me i'm getting real close to locking this little pointy-eared brown-haired devil dog into a crate oh man when the sun gets to a certain level every day she predicts that it's time to go play. That's crazy, right? Dogs can tell time. I remember my mom used to always say, it's so funny. They know when the time changes. They, you know, they get up and expect to, to go out, go for a walk, and it's, it's an hour earlier. And I'm like, well, they go off of, like, well, the sunlight. <laughs> so there's always this ongoing debate. And I'd try to explain it to her, and she'd be like, no, they understand what time it is. And I would say, but, Mom, they're just going off the sun. The sun is now at the same position in the sky. It's just an hour different than it was yesterday because we changed the hands of the clock. She's like, whatever. They still know. (laughs) So classic Sandy Harper. And so while I've been here in Tennessee, I've been uh, been working a little bit. I've been hanging out outside. I've been going on walks. I've been playing with the dogs. But if I've been sitting at the desk doing something and I pop up, Gypsy leads the charge. I, I think she screams to all the other dogs, Hey, guys, he's standing up. It's time to go outside and play fetch. And I can't explain to her that just because I stand up doesn't mean we're going outside to play fetch. So i got a couple things I want to talk about today. I'll save the uh, Kanye West stuff for tomorrow. The Twitter CEO wants to try and experiment with universal basic income. If you're not familiar what universal basic income is, it's nothing more than a government check that's handed to every single person. So... He's picked like 10 different cities that he's going to try this in. 
I don't know how much it's going to be or how, how much per person or anything like that. I just don't see how anyone can think this is a good idea. Anyone who understands economics and human behavior. Well, what happens when you, give, when you give people money for doing nothing? So we can all admit, well, most people can admit that there is a specific price. There's a certain point at which I could pay you enough money to not go to work. Now, it's different across everyone. There are some people out there that would stay home for $1,000 a month. There are some people out there that wouldn't stay home for $100,000 a month. But most everybody has that price. So sit there and think about that for a second. Think about what your price is. I'd be interested to, to hear that. So we give people money for doing nothing. Some of them will keep doing things. Some of them won't. But either way, we give everyone the same amount of money. Okay? So that's, that's an issue right there. If you give everyone something, you give no one something. Because it's really not money that we want. It's purchasing power. I mean, the only reason someone might want $600,000 is so that they could buy something worth $600,000. So that's purchasing power. So if you give everyone $1,000, then they have no more purchasing power than the person next to them. They can all still buy the same things. And what ends up happening is inflation. So you still have all of the same resources available, the same goods and services. But now you have more people that are bidding for those, right? So that's all, that's all a transaction really is. When you buy something, it's just, you're going to the store and you're saying, I think this is worth this much. And if you don't think it's worth that much, then you don't pay for it. And if enough people don't pay for it, they lower the price. So it's like a long-term kind of auction. Think about it that way. And so now if everyone shows up to the auction and everyone has another $100,000 in their pocket, all the prices get driven up $100,000 and no one has any more purchasing power. They don't have the ability to buy what they couldn't buy before they got the money. So it, does, it ends up being a wash in that aspect. Now, granted, in the short run, people will go out and they might buy new clothes, some wheels for the car. I would probably go out and buy some dog-related accessories, not harnesses for pets, though. I don't know, pets don't wear harnesses. So, yeah, in the short run, people may run out and spend their money. A lot of people end up saving it and won't even go back into the economy. It just goes right into their bank account. They save it for a rainy day. And part of this idea is to help stimulate economies. So there's another fault there. You give it to the guy who makes 150 grand a year, goes straight to his pocket, doesn't really affect him much. He goes on about his way and doesn't really care. Here's another issue I have with it. Once you start something like that, once you start giving people money, and they set their standard of living or their lifestyle based on that, it's very, very difficult to take it away. And you would probably be labeled as like heartless, like a greedy, heartless individual for taking money away from people. So while it sounds great for an experiment, how's it going to end? I mean, you start doing this, it's going to be very tough to stop. Not only that, but think about what happens whenever people in power give things away to people who they rely on for votes. So I kind of made that vague. Think about what happens whenever there's a newlywed couple and they get married. They're both starting out. They don't have much between them. They're young in their early 20s trying to figure out how to buy a house. The girl says, hey, my dad would probably give us the money. How many times have you heard the, the new husband or the it can go the other way too, you know, but... I feel like in my experience, it's been mainly the this way. I guess that's because I know more guys. I don't know. Either way, no, 
I'm not taking any money from your parents. Why not? Because I don't want them to have anything over us. Well, you know my dad would I know. I know he probably wouldn't. But I don't want to take the money. Even though they say we don't owe them, I will feel indebted to them. But you do know how your mom can be at times. Oh, yes, I know, I know. Okay, sweetie. Okay, so let's not take the money just so that we can make sure that they don't ever have any control over us. Okay, I got it. If we have to live in a trailer, we have to live in a trailer. So what does that tell you right there? Whenever someone's on the dole, whenever someone's on the handout, things kind of become expected of them. And so in this case, it's going to be the vote. It's going to be like you're expected to vote for the person that can get you this bill passed, that can get basic income for everyone. And like I said, the only people that are really going to benefit from this in the very, 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 very short run are the most impoverished. After that, they will be the most damaged from it. It really blows my mind that the CEO of Twitter doesn't doesn't see this. I mean, this is not like some deep, complicated theory. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it would work. I mean, I wouldn't turn the check away. I'm going to tell you right now. But I just... It kind of goes against the American culture. If, if, you, can, if you can group everyone into one, it kind of goes against what I feel like our country stands for. Because once again, it would reward people for being unproductive. Because those people that are getting paid just enough right now for going to the job that they don't like, they don't want to be at, now this may give them the bump to sit at home. Hey, man, I can get $1,000 a month and not even lift a finger. Or I can bust my butt and make 2000 I mean, that's, that's a decision, you know? And so if they bail on the workforce, what's going to happen? The employer now is going to have to go look, looking for people that will fill the job. And you know what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to pay more. Well, okay, he has to pay more. What does that mean for everyone else? Prices go up. People don't understand that businesses don't bear the expense of price increases. They pass it on to the customer or they go out of business, one of the two. If you could go back to yourself at any point throughout your life, you could travel back in time and you could go spend one hour with yourself. Where would you go? What time would you go to? What would you tell yourself? And what would you guys do? Something to think about. I think I mentioned in a show a day or two ago, maybe I didn't, I don't know. Sheila Jackson Lee, the wonderful congresswoman from Houston, has proposed a bill to form a commission. So this, this is just a bill to create a group of people to do a bunch of research to figure out if we should pay reparations to, to African-Americans whose family were enslaved, to African-Americans whose families were enslaved. And that's the thing is that she, doesn't, she hasn't clarified yet whether it's all people who have black-colored skin or people who have slave ancestors, like none of that's really clear. But she just knows that she wants to get a bunch of money and, and give it away to a bunch of people for free. So the first step is to create a commission, a group of people to do all this research and figuring. She hasn't come out, or no one said what that costs yet, but it's not free, right? Anything you do has a cost. Someone's going to get paid for doing something. So they're going to get together, they're going to figure out if we should pay, pay money um, to basically apology money to black people for the way that they were treated when they were enslaved. So just for shits and giggles, I poked in some numbers in the trusty old calculatadora, and I came up with, and, and a lot of these numbers I had to just plug in, but if we paid $50,000 to each black person, 
in the U.S. Now, we haven't started talking about what if you're half black, half white. We don't know. We, that's just, we're going to have to put the commission together to figure that out. Oh, Sheila Jackson Lee. Crazy woman. She's crazy. Okay, so if we paid $50,000 per person, that comes out to $3 trillion, which is 15% of our national debt. And then what? Then we have to figure out how to pay for it. We're going to tax people. You know, okay, so let's just say we tax people. So we put a tax on, quote-unquote, the wealthy, which, you know, the way that Bernie Sanders defines the wealthy is about a teacher salary and a police officer salary, and that's how he classifies people as wealthy. So anyway, we're not talking about Bernie Sanders. So now we're going to tax people to pay these reparations. So you get a guy, blue-collar worker, doesn't matter if he's white or black. Let's just say he's a black guy. He wears coveralls. He gets paid 25 bucks an hour, loves working overtime, loves working on holidays. He gets to buy his kids shoes that he wouldn't get to buy them otherwise. He's got a bunch of hobbies. He's got two cars. And now he's got to give up a portion of his check to another black person. Okay? So he gets money. He gives money. The problem is that the government is going to squeeze money out of that because it costs them money. It costs them money to manage that whole process. So it's not like you just go to someone's house and you hand them a check and they hand you a check back. All this money has to come in. It all has to get processed, monitored, tracked, recorded, and then it has to go all back out. And so we want the federal government to handle that, who's extremely inefficient. I mean, when we give money to charities, the first thing we look at is how much money in, how much money out. How much money, you know, there's charities out there that, that operate on a, on a 5% margin. That means for every dollar you give them, they spend 95 cents out in the field. That's pretty good. I would love to know what the federal government is. It's, uh, it's inefficient. We all know they're inefficient because people who work there, they're not motivated by anything other than not getting fired. Which brings us back to my cousin Harry's idea of starting an app or a program called Reparations that allows people to do it for free. And I just think charity charity would be so much more frequent if it weren't placed in the hands of big government. Let the people give money where the people give money. Don't tell people that they have to give money to people who don't want to work. Don't tell people they have to give a portion of their paycheck to someone because they have different color skin. Let people earn money and let them spend money. That's it. It's not complicated. I'm of the opinion that the federal government should be very, very minimal. They should just provide infrastructure, provide law and order, you know, a little bit of tax money for your police stations and your firefighters, and that's it. I don't think that they they shouldn't be regulating the banks and businesses and just there's so much efficiency lost. I just don't think it's worth it. I mean, if you go back and look at the um the Native American population, right? And and this holds true especially in Canada and Alaska, the the Inuits, the Eskimos. So we did them dirty. We came in. We took the land. We took everything they had. We said, hey, hey, them damn dogs. And we said, that's okay. Here's 1500 bucks a month. You'll be fine. Now, what has that gotten them? I don't think it's gotten them very far. I think most of them are satisfied with that money. And who knows? Maybe it is a good thing to give away money to people. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe they won't rabble rouse and go into destruct mode and steal things because, you know, it's no secret that, there's more crimes in higher poverty areas. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about Corona, the beer. No, I'm just kidding. We only talk about the virus these days. We don't talk about anything but the virus. I want you to think about when it first came out. 
and the whole idea was to slow the spread and flatten the curve. And my question is, why? Why do we want to slow the spread? What's, what's the reasoning? You're sitting there saying, so we don't overload the hospitals. Yep, that's right. I agree. And also, it should have given us time to prepare. We, we saw a very good picture of this virus right away. We knew exactly what could happen. And I'm not here criticizing anyone. I mean, I'm not here. We, we didn't know a lot of stuff we didn't know. But now we know and we can still. It's not too late. I don't think it's too late to get this right. But we knew. So we, we shut everything down and it like it flattened the curve. It did what it was supposed to do. My biggest question is, why didn't we beef up the hospitals? Did we think it was done? Like, oh, it just it ran its course, and now 1.4% uh, of the population got it, and now it's done. It's gone. No, we knew that it was going to come back, and we're all surprised. And we open things up, and then we open things up, and it starts to spread, and we close things down. And this is so hard on businesses. Call me greedy, but sorry, businesses matter too. So once again, I broke out my trusty calculator. Let's, let's just all admit that the virus is not going to quit spreading. The virus will make its way through this country, however long it takes, until every single person has come in contact with it, unless they're locked up inside of a building somewhere. So we're all going to come in contact with it. We, we might not all get it. We might not all show the symptoms, but we're all going to pass by it. It's going to go through our bodies one way or another. So there's 330 million people, roughly, in this country. Of all the numbers that I've seen, about 5.9% of people who get it go to the hospital. Now, don't let that freak you out. That 5.9% is heavily weighted in the ages of like 75 plus, okay? So don't flip out yet. But let's just look at that number. 5.9% of the people who get it are going to go to the hospital. That's 19.5 million people. That's 19.5 million hospitalizations, okay? So let's take the stimulus money, all the money that we paid to the businesses and the bars, hedge fund brokers, and everyone that they had no experience with the virus, they hadn't been hit by the virus, they hadn't known their employees have dealt with the virus. Most of these people, their businesses just got shut down, and so the government gave them money. Okay, so if you take that money, I think it's right around $3 trillion, somewhere $2.6, trillion, somewhere in there. But if you divide it by the hospitalizations, so if you take the $3.0 trillion, and you divide it by 19.5 million hospitalizations. Remember, 5.9% of 330 million is 19.5 million people who will be hospitalized at some point. It would allow you, if you, if you reallocate, I'm just saying this again to make it clear. I know sometimes I talk fast. So if you reallocate all of the stimulus money that has been handed out so far, and you, and you don't give that to the businesses, and instead you build temporary hospitals, okay, you build shelters, you build things right to deal with this virus. You know what to expect. You know how many square foot you need. You know what types of equipment needs to be there. You know what type of person needs to work there to wait on them. You know about how many healthcare professionals to allocate to each patient or how many patients per healthcare professional. All that stuff we have now. We know the information, okay? So if you reallocate all that money, you could spend $150,000 per hospitalization, and it would equal what we've doled out so far. Now, don't, don't think we're done doling out because we're about to have another one two, three weeks from now. $150,000 per hospitalization. And you know what? We could get through it faster. We could be through this thing in six months. We're going to be dealing with this crap for a year and a half, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, everyone thinks there's going to be a magic vaccine's going to come about, and we're all going to get the shot, and we're going to go back to normal. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. We need to be going through this thing pretending like there's no vaccine because it's not guaranteed. 
And so the longer that we hide out and we slow the spread and we don't do anything and no one goes anywhere and no money's being generated and no money's being spent, the deeper the hole we're just digging ourselves into. Chances are there will be a number of deaths. That number is either going to happen whether we rush through this thing in two weeks or whether we spread it out over two years, okay? We cannot stop it. We cannot stop the deaths. Those people, we should be guarding them like the Hope Diamond. We should, we should allocate some resources to keeping them safe and separate and not giving money to 19-year-old waiters who probably will have no effects whatsoever. We can reallocate all that money to the people who really, really, really need it. It's not too late. It's not too late. $150,000 per hospitalization, per patient. Now, people might say, oh, well, we don't have the staff. We don't have the people. We could hire them. We could go to other countries. There's Venezuela, probably got tons of nurses that need somewhere to go. Cuba, I mean, Mexico, they need, they need work. So I want to go back to the vaccine a little bit. <clears throat> so, you know, this company, Moderna, they're putting out all this information about a vaccine. That's great and all. They're also motivated for their stock price to increase. Whatever. Let's think about, let's just say that they wake up one morning and they found the vaccine. They go, we got it. It's right here. Okay. Now... We have to manufacture, let's just say, 200 million vaccinations. It's 330 million people in the country. And we have to make 200 million vaccinations. Each year, we produce about 162 million flu vaccines. When it comes to manufacturing, especially like FDA approved, you, you don't just plop a factory out. You don't, there's no such thing as a factory factory that makes factories. And we can assume because... The private sector operates very efficiently. There's probably not a ton of factory space sitting around unused. So what does that mean? We have two options. Either we have to build new vaccine factories, which is going to take time, energy, money, or we have to cut production of something else. What are you going to cut? You going to stop making insulin? You stop making Viagra? <laughs> Good luck with that one. You going to stop making the flu vaccine? I don't know. How are you going to pick? You know how you're going to pick? Whatever makes the most money. Whatever, it's going to be, it'll be decided by how much does this vaccine cost? How much do we have to pay someone to use their factory? And how much is that going to affect the end user? All, it's going to all boil down to money. So everyone keeps talking about Florida, Florida, how bad they are, how bad they are. You realize that they've only, the, the sickness, the COVID, has only made it through 1.4% of their population. It has only affected 1.4%. That's of the people that have been tested, sure. We should be trying to fly through this and not hiding out in our houses like the Smurfs. Like, listen, 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 I understand. If you're susceptible, if you have compromised immunity, by all means, hide out in your house. Let us go get you groceries. And I say us, who knows? I might be right there in the death line. I'm willing to risk it, though. I'll go buy you groceries. I'll get out there. I'll cut your grass, whatever you need. I'm not saying everyone should go back to work as normal. I'm saying we should really pay attention to the most at-risk people and guard them closely. I'm saying that we should reallocate our resources and instead of shutting down a bar and then giving them money, that we should build temporary medical facilities. We had them in Houston. We had them. We built them and we tore them down. And when they tore them down, everyone said, oh, man, what a waste of money. They built these things. They tore them down. We, we have, we, we're just getting started. I don't know. Those are my thoughts in the, on the uh, coronavirus today. They change. They change from day to day. And you know what? I'm not in a position of leadership, so I can change them whenever I want to. You know, everyone criticizes Trump. They criticize Trump. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny. Like, oh, yeah? Let's see how you would handle a pandemic. 
in your country that you're the leader of. Hey, believe me, I criticize Trump too, okay? It's like everyone says, well, this is all new. This is unknown. It's like they can say that when it comes to like Fauci backtracking on, on what he says. Well, we're still learning about this. It's all still new. We don't really know what to expect. It's all new. It's new. It's new. And then Trump tries to make a decision and it's all his fault. Man, I really don't I don't feel sorry for the guy just because he kind of brings it on himself. But I couldn't deal. With, <laughs> I couldn't deal with that kind of pressure. I don't ugh, I really couldn't. But once again, I think it's um, he brings it on himself. Another issue I have a problem with is these um, these governors that are that are doing mandates within a state. I mean, if you're talking about Rhode Island or New Hampshire or Vermont, Connecticut, sure, make a state mandate. But when you're talking about Texas and you've got Brownsville and Amarillo and El Paso and Orange, and you've got Houston and you got Hobson, one of them has like 10 million people. The other one has like 10 people and you're trying to make them follow the same rules. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you not let communities manage themselves? They don't want to. That's why. Because they're too scared to make decisions. They want it to come from above because our elected leaders are not really leaders. You're going to get sick of me saying this probably, but it's really how I feel. It's okay. You'll get sick of it and you'll still come back for more. So my, uh, I talked a little bit about Bust a Bit the other day, and they how they got me the first day on there. Man, they got me. And you know, I really wasn't playing. I mean, I was just playing a little little money for fun. You know, didn't have much strategy. I was just kind of you know betting on on how I felt and what I thought would happen. And today I implemented a strategy, <laughs> and let's just say it went quite well. Now. You still got to have self-control. And you know what? Gambling is gambling is gambling. But if you set upper and lower limits and you have deep enough pockets, now all that means is you're betting small enough that you can cover it if it goes up and up and up and up. If you play by those rules, you can come out ahead. Okay? So you're not, you're not swinging for the moon. You're just trying to make enough to get you by. Kind of like a universal basic income. I'm going to start a universal gambling basic income. If I go gambling... I'm going to have to be guaranteed to win. <laughs> That's not gambling. I know. I know. So anyway, I'll keep you updated on that. It's fun. It's kind of nerve wracking. It's like the stock market on steroids. Like stuff's just happening as fast as it possibly can. And you're trying to make decisions, scratching your head. And um, well, that, that may not be true. You're really not. You're really not making decisions if you're following the rules. But it's like blackjack. Like you sit there. And it comes to you, and you know what you're supposed to do, but you just feel something different. It's hard to play by the rules. But if you play by the rules, you know your odds. If you don't play by the rules, you don't know your odds. You guys haven't heard me, but I've been screaming at (laughs) Gypsy for making just too much noise. Finally, I put her in a crate, and that's just silence. So I think I'm going to go take the dogs to the little creek. Poor Bentley, man. She's got a bummed, bummed wheel. And had to leave her home the other day, but I'm, I'm going to take her today. She's getting around okay. She She's putting maybe 20% of weight on her foot. So, yeah, I hope everything I say made sense. I felt like I just flew through the, uh, the coronavirus deal. Bottom line is reallocate the money from places you don't need it to hospitals. Let's get through this. It would also create a sense of unity if we had some direction. If we had some federal direction and not tell people what they can't do and what they shouldn't do, 
but lay out a plan and say, hey, guys, here's a plan. You elected me. You have faith in me. Trust me. Let's stick through this, and I'm going to try it. And you know what? If we try it and it doesn't work, well, at least we didn't sit there on our butts and try to defer the decision to other people. I've been thinking about the kind of like the whole theme to this podcast, and I don't really know. I don't really know what it is, but I feel like a lot of the issues that I see or notice, it's all, it's all really just a breakdown in expectations or communication. I, I think that's what, that's what it all boils down to. Either someone expects something and gets something else, or someone was never told what to expect. And yeah, it's just a, it's just a, it's a misalignment of expectations or a breakdown in communication. That's, that's what most problems are. And I feel like that people are so prideful that they can't pinpoint where things are going off course. So I don't know. I don't know how it has anything to do with paradise. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like it would be utopian if we could get by without doing that stuff. But then again, I understand that the constant struggle over the middle keeps things in balance. So I don't know. You leave me on here long enough, I'll just talk myself in circles. I'm going to the park. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Not sure if I'll do an episode tomorrow. Keep it tranquilo. Hey.